G'day, g'day. How are you? I, often I go Nicola Crichton in my head. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's because we're still related <laughs> with different second names. Because <laughs> both our names are up on the screen in front of me and I think it just jumps in out at me or something. I don't know, it's strange. <laughs> Welcome to Fox Class 5. How are you, Nick? Good. I, I'm, I'm still a Murphy on this though. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you were. I need to well, yeah, maybe that's why. <laughs> I actually, oh my God, I was, I was talking about this a few weeks ago trying to change your name and I'm still trying to oh. do it. Oh my God. And like oh, most things you. now, because I changed my email address and I've done all that, those bits, like not changed, I just created an alias. So I'm kind of ready to go. Like I've done a lot, but like then I can't kind of forget. So we'll go in somewhere and I'll be like, is it Nicola Murphy or is it Nicola Murphy? <laughs> I don't know what name I'm giving to people. That still stuff. happens me yeah, yeah. to this day with some <laughs> things, especially stuff like that you're like, I haven't op- I haven't done anything with this account for about four years and you're trying to remember if you ever changed your name on it or yeah, not or what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to go on. It's going to haunt you. But, uh, but I, like I yeah. said to you the last time, do as much of it as you can in the one or because it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a pain in the air. Especially the banking. The banking stuff is terrible because they're all, mm. they're such sticklers for detail, you know. So, oh, excuse me. I was off for a run and I am... Um, I just feel tired after runs. Yeah, I know, but like your <laughs> so, run is like fucking 20 something K or whatever. Is that what did you do today? Like, no, not at lunchtime. I did 30.6 K. That's well done. 19 yeah. miles or something. And what day? Friday. Friday. Paddy's day. Um, in anticipation of having a boozy weekend. <laughs> so I, I took a few hours back Good on Friday balance, morning and went though. for a run. Nice to have a balance. Yeah. Right? yeah. I just didn't, I'm so tired after those long runs. I just didn't want to be like, um, zonked for the weekend. Wrecked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zonked because I would have been like falling asleep in my Guinness, you know. Yeah. So I said, um, I'd recover on Friday, which I did. Even though Friday was kind of busy Friday afternoon, we had a little uh, DIY homemade parade I for saw, St. Patrick's Day. Um, all the titties and the girls yeah. all dressed up. It'll yeah. be nice for them to experience it next year. I know you're saying you're going to come next year. I think Hopefully. it'll be nice for them. Yeah. Although Culture it's a bloody leap here next year. So Paddy's Day is actually a Sunday. Oh, is it? will be off Monday oh, then. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll all be off the Monday. I thought it was Saturday. Monday. I was like, perfect. Mm-hmm. Is next so, year a leap year? Um, Interesting. Hmm. It is, it is. I'm drinking a cup of tea, sorry. Um, and I'm watching like a sparrowhawk hunting out the window. Oh, God. So cool. um, getting distracted. Um, so, yeah, so that was Friday and poor old Stu's been sick all week. So there's been, I was just kind of nonstop for a few days in terms of doing everything. And Saturday then out for the rugger, which was a great result. Well done to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um and a big, big boozy day on Sunday. Emer was visiting, so we great crack. Great crack. And handed a day in the pub in ages. So that was fun. And Sunday then, Mother's Day was, yeah, like every other day pretty much. And um, Emer came over and we had a takeaway and a bottle of wine. So nice. it was a good weekend. It was nice. It was chill out. Yeah, it was good. So how was your weekend? Good, good. I We had a very um, calm weekend all together. We were kind of trying to take the pup out a bit, but also toilet training. And I think it was Sandy while the two of us were at home to do it, you know. So a Paddy's mm-hmm. Day, although I must say I did miss the pub a lot. I think because it was a Friday, it was just like felt so nice that it would have been like mm-hmm. a great day out. Um, but and I was off anyway, so... Uh, I did miss the pub this weekend now between that and the rugby. I was like, I had serious FOMO going on. I said, we still had a lovely weekend, but there was a bit of FOMO, mm. I must say. So I'm looking forward to Paddy's mm. Day next year. 
<laughs> make the most of it. Yeah. Um, but yes, we'd love to be finished breastfeeding by then if you start breastfeeding. Maybe oh, <laughs> we'll and truly done by then. But um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. By the way, we had a great weekend with the doggo. He's such a joy, and he's very good, and he's mostly toilet trained now and all that, um, which is great. And yeah, he's the best boy. So he's uh, currently asleep under my feet again uh, with his blanket in his mouth sound asleep. So. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. He's such a good boy. I cannot. Honestly, I'm like living for the dog content at the moment. So thank you for brightening, brightening up my days. You know, it's a great distraction. <laughs> I do have serious dog FOMO. It's a great distraction yeah, from yeah. pregnancy. Like I don't really think about mm. pregnancy till like nighttime when I'm the baby's kicking the shit out of me and I kind of remember. Yeah. It's like her way of getting back at me. But, um, Start of the abuse. Yes, that's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of a nice distraction and like I still have quite a bit of energy and so, so it's nice to be able to like take him for a walk and do things like that and kind of just like you know settle settle into kind of home yeah. life a bit but it was funny I was cooking the dinner yesterday and I was like this still doesn't feel like my home it's weird we're still like in a weird routine <laughs> like like, yeah. yeah we're like mm. not fully settled and like I haven't properly like like obviously have cooked and stuff, but like I haven't made like a massive dinner, you know, like a big roast or something. I need mm. to do something like that, I think, and get more used to the kitchen and like little things like that. Yeah. But it's funny, yeah, I was surprised about how long it's taking to kind of settle in, all right. But um yeah, it's all fake. You've had a lot of I suppose with the dog and everything, your sh- focus kind of shifted to the dog and being pregnant, you've got a, all that distraction as well. So you've not been able to sort of immerse yourself in the yeah, house thing yeah I suppose, it's true you know? and like um, um, you've just a lot going on like Shane said to me at the weekend he's like you fitting you're both fitting like 10 years of your lives into 6 months <laughs> so yeah, like yeah, we got married yeah, got yeah. pregnant bought a house well we had the house bought moved into a house I yeah. suppose and got a dog <laughs> in a very quick succession mm-hmm. of time yeah. so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. maybe we just have whiplash yeah. I'm not sure but uh, <laughs> yeah 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 it's yeah. all good stuff it's domestic good domestic stuff. whiplash it, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All good. Okay, so all my items are really long today. You're going to be really bored. Not at <laughs> so all. I am. Um, I'll edit them as we go anyway. But yeah, uh, first up is number one. One. So this I thought was kind of an interesting article. It was an RT by a journalist called Sarah Megliocco. I think I pronounced that correctly. And um, it's about how digital cameras are making a bit of a comeback and sort of the thinking around that. So um, I'm just going to read it pretty much verbatim, but I've cut some of it back. So if people are enjoying it, you should just go on and read the whole thing. It's very, 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 very long. Um, But anyway, the Internet today is starting to look more and more like the Internet back in the day. The Internet of illicit Bebo profiles and downloading songs to our iPod Nanos. It was a different era, what I would have said, uh, downloading off of uh, Napster. But yes, probably same thing. Um, It was a different era where uploading 100 photos from one night out was a rite of passage. In 2022, our appetite for nostalgia is shaping so much more than the fashion industry as the return of Y2K clothing is accompanied by some of the most iconic tech of the same time. Most notably... The digital camera. Low-rise jeans, Abercrombie and Fitch baby doll tops and Uggs are already back in fashion. An outfit that has not seen the light of day since the early days of secondary school for many millennials. Gen Z are exploring the fashion choices they saw their older siblings made back in that strange limbo-like time between 2005 and 2013 through a new and distinctly technology-focused lens. Retrofuturism is a movement in the arts that shows the influence of a hypothetical future on things created in the present. In the 60s and 70s, there were the concepts heyday, as many consumers had a futuristic feel while still encapsulating the aesthetic of the time. Think Barbarella. With hindsight, we can see 
with hindsight, we can see that interest in what the world uh, of the future would look like heavily influenced key media at the time. As the decades ticked on, retrofuturism manifested itself once again in the 90s in dystopian depictions of a future in film where hackers and cyberpunks play leading roles. The modern interpretation of retrofuturism could be turned on its head and called future retroism, as we now see depictions of tech and style from the past melded with our existing high tech, by comparison, era to craft a new aesthetic. The point and shoot digital cameras of the early 2000s are making a comeback with this vibe. The hashtag, hashtag digital camera on TikTok recently racked up 125 million videos, a huge jump on just two months ago when it sat at around 90 million. Film cameras had gone through a similar spike within youth culture and digital cameras are now moving into that space. The noise created by snapping a digital image or video has a specific texture and grain, the same idea that gives shooting on film its cool factor. The nostalgic element of this looks Look, stops us in our tracks during our daily aimless doom scrolling and gives us that warm familiarity and longing to return to that simpler time of digital cameras, flashbox decisions and burning CDs. For millennials, that is. Gen Z is the champion of the new wave, alchemizing elements of our current technology, um, past and present. So anyway, it goes on to basically say that like we were able to take loads of photographs back in the day and <laughs> stick them up on your whatever Bebo or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And they kind of stay there. People wouldn't mm. would like download them or and share them or anything yeah. like that. They, you, it was just this accepted sort of curation mag, mag, thing mag, where mag sound and blah 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 and oh god yeah, yeah exactly all over the shop. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now they're saying like even some of the celebs that are ta- taking pictures with digital cameras are also taking pictures of digital cameras. So their yeah. friends will have a digital camera around their wrist or whatever. It's almost like an accessory as well. It's an accessory. Like a, it's a look thing, yeah. nearly more so than what they're actually making with the camera. As it were. We actually found, I found um, three when we were moving. Like I'm such a bloody hoarder. But when three we were, Three cameras. digital cameras. And like... I'd say if you put batteries in them, they'd work. So I kept them, obviously. I like, didn't dump them. And like some of them were memory Hilarious. sticks in them, so there could be gas stuff on them all together. <laughs> Girl, you've got to rock one of them the next time you go out, just yeah, put it on your yeah. wrist. Oh, yeah. Down with the Gen Zers. She says, the original iteration of digital camera photos in the mid-2000s was almost hideously uncurated. Uploading photos of your friends slumped over a table in Supermax after a night out or pulling the ugliest faces possible in your school uniform were uploaded without a thought a thought eager to give the then uncharted social media world a glimpse into your life unfiltered um but yeah it's interesting so she's just sort of saying like the youngsters of today would never do that you know yeah um the the return of the digital camera is a whisper of longing for the time before social media status was such a driving force behind who we share our perspectives with if the retro futurism of the past was a yearning for the potential decadence of a utopian future then the insertion of dated tech into our digitally literate age is indicative of a wish to return to a paired back social media past all while continuing to pay homage to the realities of a demanding curated world um apparently as well there's a bit of a trend to get rid of um smartphones and people are like getting just yeah i've heard that um, as well that uh, this is what we, we kind of talked about that a few times about like things kind of going backwards and the sense of like mm-hmm. people don't want to be as in touch and actually for my internet piece today i'm going to tell you all about tiktok because we were talking about it at the weekend and i think yeah. a lot of people 
maybe my age and up still don't really like understand it or whatever the background of it. So I'm going to talk about it a bit later. But I do see it. I've heard people talking about it on the radio and stuff that like some kids are like 15, 16, they're kind of, yeah, in, they don't have smartphones. They kind of just have like a mobile phone with no camera and stuff mm. on it which would be refreshing I think a lot of parents might sigh relief there if they thought their kids were going to oh do that oh my god I'd love it yeah <laughs> like literally just a phone for like text messages or whatever you know but um, yeah I wouldn't hold my breath I mean I think that's a pro- probably a portion of the population that's very sort of um, self aware you know <laughs> um, and they're like yeah it's not good for my mental health to have a iPhone but maybe it'll catch on you know maybe mm-hmm. this is just this thing of being connected all the time people are finally realising it's not a good idea you know the adults might have to start have to start setting an example in that respect as yeah because we're bad know, so. I mean like it's something like I see now Lily like should be on her phone but like Jer's on his phone or I'm on my phone too and it makes me way more conscious of it actually when Lily's around and she's on her mm. phone where I'm like I try to put away mine and not be on it as much because yeah, it's all yeah, rubs yeah. off on them and like we can't ex- I can't expect her to not be on hers when she's 14 and like has a life on yep. her phone too then if we're on mm. ours all the time you know what I mean so I do try to set an example mm-hmm. with not being on it but like mm-hmm. I don't know how long that's how far that'll go but I do think I it's know, important to try to like put your phone away you it's know? difficult mm. it's difficult it's difficult but it's definitely I think a good thing to do so yeah okay that was number one so over to you number two Two. Number two was actually something I watched two weeks ago and I forgot to talk about it because over mm. the last week, I haven't watched so much TV. I'm kind of a funny enough all week um, with TV mm. land. Mm-hmm. I think it's with the puppy. We're in bed by like half nine every night. So. Worn out. Yeah. <laughs> That's it for the trial for um, the baby. Although everyone said that the puppies are harder at the start than the babies are. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, oh, <laughs> but what I suppose like the baby at least wears a nappy, don't they? So <laughs> piece of shit in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. this was one actually we watched in Killarney a couple of weeks ago when we were home at Mom, we watched the uh, Netflix documentary about the missing Malaysian Airlines flight 370. You know, the that disappeared in 2014. It's still quite high yeah. on the top 10 on Netflix. Um, what's it called? It's, uh, what's it called? It's called, I think it's called like Missing 370 or something. I'll look it up there. But, um, um, I think it's just missing 370 but I will confirm uh, it's number 3 on the top watched in Ireland at the moment uh, sorry it's MH370 the plane that disappeared is the exact title of it Okay. and um, yeah it's like number 3 in Ireland at the moment so it'll probably be similar in the UK but um, I love stuff like this like I love this kind of like you know like it's, mm. it's such a mad story and I think a lot of people will have forgotten about it um, mm. and I think the thing is with it is it is still unresolved. Like they never actually found it. They never found out the cause of it. So basically the entire thing is about like th- different theories about what happened to the plane and why mm. it went off course and all this stuff. Because, and I don't want to go into it much, although it's obviously was all in real time and it's a real life thing. So like everything that's in the documentary was in real life and was covered. But I don't want to go into too much of it because like it's kind of worth watching and kind of reliving mm. what ha- was said in the press and stuff like that. But basically, it's all about like what potentially happened to the plane. Was it and um, the pilot was involved, like setting it off course? Was there a terrorist attack? 
did it like blow up in the middle of the air? Like what actually happened to it? Were um, American, the American military behind it? There's loads of mad stuff like that. So it's kind of mm. three different theories about what potentially happened to it, but also like where did it land? Different kind of conspiracy theories about people seeing it in satellite um, imagery of the area that they originally said it went missing that they, okay. you know, found on images and were never disclosed publicly and all that. But like, it looks like there mm. is um, wreckage in mm. the sea and why didn't they acknowledge that and blah, 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 blah. And it kind of goes from there then about what happened to the actual plane. And you obviously meet the families of some of the people. So it's very sad. Like it's very hard mm. watch some of it because like these poor people's families just went on a flight to from it was from where was it going from it was from going from Malaysia to China and there's so there was a lot of Chinese and nationals on it like 140 I think were Chinese on it so the Chinese government gets involved then too and stuff but it's quite sad obviously to see the families and how it impacted them and like the fact that there has been no resolution and weird little things like one thing I found mad in it was that their phones were all still ringing after the time that it apparently would have gone down like they could still ring loaded the mobile phones and that they were still ringing out and like that wouldn't happen if it was broke if the phone was broken or water damaged or whatever you know so a few mm. little weird little things like that but it um it was enjoyable I think like we watched the three episodes, three episodes, which again, I feel like they're always doing that now where they're kind of like, you know, milking it long, for yeah. as much as they can. Mm. By the end, we were a bit like, okay, that was a bit silly. Like the, some of the conspiracy theories were a bit silly, but I thought the core story was very interesting in terms of like what okay. had happened, what could potentially happen, yeah. blah, blah. But like then they, when they went too much into the conspiracy theories, I thought it was a bit like out there, but. I mean, me, mom, they probably and stretched it a bit too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. mom, and Jer watched it, and I would say Jared more of a cynical look at it. But me, mom enjoyed it. Like we still had a good chat about it, and it was kind of one to just <laughs> you, mom, like buying into all the conspiracy. Yeah, theories. yeah, totally. But um, it's unresolved. So and like any of the, the some of the bits they covered too was like the wreckage that they did find. They found some near Madagascar. Like, mm. was that it? Like, a lot of the serial numbers are missing, stuff like that. Like, is it a big cover-up? So I'm like, yeah, maybe mm. it is a big cover-up. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know, but mm -hmm. um, it's worth watching for sure. I wonder, will they find some sort of resolution? Though They'd searched for years, like the Australian Navy, um, because that was kind of the closest country to where they thought it went down um, eventually, going by, like, some new kind of coordinates and stuff. They never found it. Like, they never found anything in the sea, and they searched for, I think, two or three years so there's a lot of unanswered questions. So we should have seen wild, since then. There's been a couple of more Malaysian planes that have gone down. And obviously there was the one shot down as well over Ukraine like a year later and mm. to kind of cover that. Mm. So it's an interesting one. Now give it a look. Was there a um, connection there? Yeah. yeah. Mm. It is a little bit out okay. there, like cool. I said, in some parts, but I thought the, the bones of it were enjoyable. And if you're looking for something, an easy enough watch, like, like, and you like that kind of thing, true, true crime and that, I would definitely check it out. So that was my true. recommendation for the week. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. Number three. Three. So number three, I was like, did we do this person before? But I'm pretty sure we haven't. <laughs> um, and she was, I heard her on the radio last week and I was like, she's a really cool dude. So we're today we're talking about Margaret Atwood, who is a Canadian poet, novelist, mm. literary critic, essayist, teacher, environmental activist and inventor. Most people probably know her as the person who wrote 
The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Um, since 1961, she has published 18 books of poetry, 18 novels, 11 books of nonfiction, nine collections of short fiction, eight children's books, two graphic novels and a number of small press editions of both poetry and fiction. Um, her father was uh, a researcher and they spent an awful lot of time in the sort of um, forestry <laughs> in Quebec. Um, so she didn't actually go to school until she was about 12 years old. But she was a voracious reader of literature because, you know, she was stuck out in the forest. So she'd read anything they had in the house, essentially. Um, and she started reading and started writing poetry and prose when she was very young. Um, she first published what was a pamphlet of poetry called Double Persephone um, in 1961. And more poetry followed thereafter during the decade um, with a number of other books. Then she published her first novel, The Edible Woman, in 1969 a metaphoric, witty work about the social status of a woman about to wed. Atwood's works encompass a variety of themes, including gender and identity, religion and myth, the power of language, climate change and power politics. Many of her poems are inspired by myths and fairy tales, which interested her from a very young age. Um, being described as a tenacious spirit, Atwood would later describe taking greyhound buses to read at gymnasiums and sell books. She continued to publish poetry as well as novels, Throughout the 70s and early 80s, several more books followed, yet it was 1985's The Handmaid's Tale that garnered Atwood a massive wave of acclaim and popularity. A prescient warning over what could be, the book chronicles a puritanical theocratic dystopia in which a select group of fertile women, a condition which has become a rarity, are made to bear children for corporate male overlords. The Handmaid's Tale also has been performed as an opera, which I didn't know. Um, and there was a film in 1990 with Natasha Richardson, Liam Neeson's wife, who died. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Um, as Alfred. Yeah. Um, Aidan Quinn, Elizabeth McGovern, know. Faye Dunaway and Robert Duvall. I must look that up. Good cast. Um, yeah. Uh, decades later, Handmaid's Tale was adapted into a 2017 TV miniseries starring Elizabeth Moss. It's not a miniseries, it's a substantial set of series. Um, later won multiple Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Drama Series. In addition, Atwood's novel Alias Grace, a murder tale set in the mid-19th century in Upper Canada, was released as a miniseries in 2017. Um, Atwood is a prolific writer who has penned additional novels that include Cat's Eye in 1989 and The Blind Assassin, which won her the Booker Prize. I read that book and... Um, for the life of me, I can't remember what I thought of it. I think I I think I was doing that whole, like, that won the Booker Prize. Didn't think it deserved the Booker Prize. Mm. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, continuing her output of speculative fiction with real-world parallels, the new millennium saw Atwood releasing the environment-focused Madame trilogy. Uh, and then it just lists a few more of her books. Um, she's won numerous awards and honours for her writing, including two Booker Prizes, the Arthur C. Clarke Award, the Governor General's Award, the Franz Kafka Prize, Prince of Asteria's Awards and the National Book Critics and Penn Centre USA Lifetime Achievement Award. She's the founder of the Griffin Poetry Prize and the Writers' Trust of Canada. She's also a senior fellow of Massey College in Toronto and she's the inventor of the long pen device mm. and associated technologies that facilitate remote robotic writing of documents. Random. Um, she lives in Toronto with her. Uh, she lived in Toronto with her partner Graham Gibson, who died in 2019, and they had one daughter. She was married before that as well for a short period in the 60s or 70s. She's a really interesting character. She's in her well into her 80s now, and she's still writing and as relevant as ever, you know. So um, her name cool comes dude. up a lot. You hear about her a lot when anybody's talking about like anything. Yeah. 
like even like feminism and stuff like that, like her writings yeah. and stuff come up a lot. So I've heard her name loads of times, but actually I couldn't vision, visualize her. So I Googled her there to have a look. Yeah. So she does look familiar yeah. also. <laughs> but yeah, her name comes yeah, up a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's, um, she's an interesting character. She's got lots of, she does lots of stuff around animal rights mm. as well. And um, she's got a very kind of complicated political sort of background where she describes herself as what is, is a red Tory, but that's it's not actually mm. like what we would say a, a Tory, Tory is. is. Yeah. It's more about a historical kind of um, reference to some other sort of. Anyway, she's she's an interesting person. Her books are fab and sure, The Handmaid's Tale is absolutely brilliant. So yeah, and she co-wrote the TV it? series. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, obviously, it's kind of grown nice. No, I wouldn't like say it's not really a miniseries anymore, but I think um it's very mm-hmm. challenging, The Handmaid's Tale, and I think it's very relevant to some of the stuff you hear mm. going on in the world the last couple of years. So it's mad the way that Absolutely. it's been compared to real life some, in some instances. But yeah, yeah very. Yeah, I still haven't finished the last series. Actually, I must oh, go back to it. Yeah. It ended well. Yeah, yeah. Good. There you go. That was number three. So over to you for number four, Nick. So number four this week, and I know, uh, again, I mentioned earlier that we would be talking about TikTok a bit this week, but this is because it has been in the press a lot lately, because a lot of countries, companies, things like that are now banning the use of it on their devices and their employees or politicians and so on's devices because... um, there's this big thing about when you agree to terms and conditions of TikTok, you're basically giving them access to everything on your device. Now, personally, okay, <laughs> like I feel like we're doing that anyway with a lot of things, in my opinion. I'm not defending TikTok. I'm just saying like I, I find it amazing that people are surprised about this. Like mm. Facebook own WhatsApp, like they're definitely mm. accessing our data that we use, that we text each other, like the messages we send each other, mm. like 100%. Instagram uses the mic on your phone if it's not turned off. If you talk about kitchens, 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 I'm going to go on and I'll see kitchens on Instagram. Like, Mm -hmm. this is not a new concept. And I think all of a sudden it's like a lot of of different companies and countries and all that jumping on the bandwagon of this kind of paranoia. And like, you know, fair enough. Obviously, there is some, it's been substantiated and that's why they're doing it. But I thought I would just talk about it a bit and what it is and mm. like inform people because like not everybody uses it. Like I only started using it about six months ago. Like I'm personally not paranoid about them having access to the shit I say on my phone. But mm-hmm. um yeah, and like obviously big conspiracy about the Chinese government having access to everything that we yeah. see. There's also a big conspiracy about the content that you see on TikTok. Um, because, okay. so TikTok basically just to give a bit of background for anybody who's lived under a rock or maybe doesn't have kids or maybe isn't really on social media. What TikTok is, is it was established in, I think about 2014 initially uh, or 2016. And since then, it's grown absolutely massively. Um, it is obviously a Chinese app. And what it was originally used for was things like um, lip syncing videos and things like mm-hmm. that. It had a um, small enough subset of like social media, but it was massive in China before it kind of got bigger around the world. So in China, it actually has its own app and its own name, although it's the same thing. It's called Douyin. And it is used by over like 700 million people on a daily basis within China. So it's very, very, very popular, much more popular than like Facebook or Instagram or anything like that in China. Mm -hmm. And again, 
people would have probably first seen it. It's actually 2018, I think, that it kind of got bigger. But in 2018, you would have seen like short, these short videos, which reminded me of Vine. Do you remember Vine years ago and yeah. Vine? Yeah. Very similar short videos yeah. that are like funny, entertaining. Mm-hmm. And even now you can go on YouTube and look up Best of Vine and like have the best laugh ever. <laughs> because mm-hmm. same kind of thing, short videos that are entertaining. And a lot of it was music related at the start. Since then, it's yeah. grown. You can now have videos up to um, three minutes. So they extended that a lot. In 2022, it mm-hmm. hit one billion users of the app on a, um, a monthly basis. There's at least one billion people using it. Um, it's not only used for like, you know, I can go on there and I can just talk to you about my new puppy. I can go on there and I can search and look up hundreds of people telling me how to train my new puppy. I could look mm-hmm. up um, kitchens, interior design, blah, blah. It's like everything you could possibly imagine is on TikTok. Cooking, like these are just mm-hmm. some things that would come up on mine. Um, it obviously uses an algorithm. So as soon as you like something that's of a certain content, you will get that mm-hmm. content repeated to yourself. So, Or even if yeah. you pause on something to watch it for longer than like a couple of seconds, because it's like Tinder, I suppose, in the sense it's like a swipe. You swipe the content yeah. that you like and don't like. So mm-hmm. something comes up for you, you don't like it, you swipe it away. You don't want that content. So it obviously learns what you like, what you don't like, what applies to you, what yeah. doesn't apply to you. So like when I was mm-hmm. first pregnant, for example, I got a lot of pregnancy content and quite dark mm-hmm. stuff too, like a lot of like early pregnancy loss and things like that. So it can be mm-hmm. quite messed up as well in terms of the content that it's mm-hmm. showing you. And I suppose in one mm-hmm. sense, it's kind of showing you maybe the dark thoughts you had yourself or whatever it may be. But so like much, lately yeah. now, it's like all puppy content because I liked a few like <laughs> puppy training videos <laughs> or, you know, it could yeah. be I could re- like something okay. random like tropical fish and I'll get loads of tropical fish. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. like the one thing I would say about it is um, it is quite uh, edited. Like if there's anything that's um, violent or whatever, like you can see a lot of that stuff. I would say that like before it used to be a bit more, they had more of that, but I think lately it is quite concerned, like, cons- like, it, like what's the word? Conservative, Conser- yeah. Like censored. censored conservative. Yeah, yeah, conservative, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, for me, I've never really seen anything that absolutely like gobsmacking on there and anything yeah. like that. So obviously it's a big one with the youth of today. Um, like just mm-hmm. kids like 10 years old upwards on it, which is absolutely mad to me. I just, you know, I still wouldn't want mm-hmm. my child having access to everything that's on that. No. It's similar to the reels that are on Instagram. You'll see a lot of older TikToks that maybe like a TikTok was really popular two weeks ago will now be on Instagram. There's kind of a delay for mm-hmm. stuff being on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. But that's kind of the general vibe of it. But obviously, like I was mentioning in the last few weeks, a lot of companies and countries have come out to say that they're not allowing TikTok on their devices. And um, I suppose a big one there at the weekend was BBC actually came out and said also that they wanted any of their employees to remove it from their personal devices. So from their mm-hmm. work yeah. devices. And it's an interesting yeah, I think the one. Did as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and our the Irish mm-hmm. government, um, lots of New Zealand, Australia, loads of different governments have now banned it from their um anybody who's employed yeah. by the government's devices. Um mm-hmm. so it's an interesting one. Um I think like I think it's there's still a billion people on it every month. So 
whatever we're seeing mm-hmm. is definitely, you know, being controlled. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently there is talk that like in China, they're showing a lot more intellectual content than the rest of the world is yes, shown. Yes, I saw that. That they're kind yeah, of dumbing yeah. down the content that the rest of the world gets and like how that's being done on purpose mm-hmm. to kind of make people stupider mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's something we could talk about all day, but it's a very interesting topic, I think, at the moment. And um, mm-hmm. it is a social media. And I think, look, like Instagram probably knows you just as well as like TikTok would know you the same kind of thing. Um, so I don't think it's anything new I guess the, or unusual. Hmm. I guess the thing is they're saying is the threat is it's China and you can't sort of legislate for China. That's mm. the problem, you know, yeah. um, an American owned company or a British owned company is one thing. Yeah. You can probably have a civil conversation with them. But the fear is that China is collecting all this data and they're going to use it against us exactly. somehow, somewhere, exactly. somewhere, yeah. Yeah. you know, so I kind of get it. You know, I know it, personally, you probably don't feel any threat or whatever. As in, like, you don't care if they know that you're buying a new pair of slippers off Amazon or whatever. But I suppose it's the collective thing, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, So, um, no, no, and it is well, like, obviously, to teach their own. A lot of people have deleted it from their devices. A lot of people won't get it because of that. Like, that's absolutely, like, I didn't have it for years. I only got it recently. And even now, I'm like, I don't even go on it much anymore because of that kind of stuff. But I think if you put it on your phone once, they probably have access to everything. So (laughs) I probably do see the way. So, you know, I only use it once in a blue moon. And I just kind of feel like I probably should delete it. A lot of companies use it now for marketing. A lot of celebrities use it for endorsement. Like it is, it is a massive part of social media now, even more powerful than Instagram. Mm. Like, so, you know, mm. it's not going anywhere anytime fast. It's anytime soon is what I would say as well. So anyway, mm. that's just okay. chat. Sitting on the fence for TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Bye. So this is an interesting story. Robert Smith of The Cure has been getting into this battle with Ticketmaster in the last few weeks because... He came out ages ago and said that he was going to keep, they were going to keep their tickets affordable um, for their new oh, tour. This, that they were going yeah. to charge. This is an American tour. Yeah. They were going to charge as low as $20 a ticket. And then next thing, ticket, and they, and they kind of had an agreement with Ticketmaster. Then the tickets went on sale and then these guys were buying tickets and there was like Mad a service money. fee of Twelve dollars, yeah, and then a, a facility charge of ten dollars. So the fees were coming to more than the tickets were costing in yeah, the first place. So, um, so basically he kicked off and he basically got on to Ticketmaster, and then he came back and said, after further conversation with Ticketmaster, they've agreed that the fees being charged are unduly high, and as a gesture of goodwill, we've offered a ten dollar per ticket refund to all verified fan accounts. Right, that's fine. For all fans who bought more expensive tickets, Ticketmaster would issue a £5 refund per ticket for any show on the US tour. Refunds would be automatic for anyone who had already bought a ticket, while future ticket sales would incur lower fees. Um, Early in the week, Smith explained the band had chosen to use Ticketmaster in order to combat scalping, but had declined to participate in the company's dynamic pricing and platinum ticket schemes, as they didn't want ticket prices to be instantly and horribly distorted by resale. Musicians such as Bruce Springsteen and Taylor Swift have used the dynamic pricing system, which has been which has seen individual tickets end up for selling Mad. for thousands of dollars. Mm. The backlash to the cure ticket fees is the latest example of ticket sales Ticketmaster's sales model provoking anger. In November, it cancelled the general sale for tickets for Swift's Eras tour because demand for the verified fan sale had left it insufficient remaining had left an insufficient remaining ticket inventory Swift described the situation as excruciating while the US Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio 
Ocasio Cortez called for the breakup of Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which merged in 2010, calling it a monopoly. It's true. Yeah, like, it is. In January, the US Senate held a hearing about the company to hear testimony about ticket sales, monopolisation, resale markets, and Ticketmaster's influence on the live music industry. So, yeah, buying tickets is becoming such a stressful thing. Like, I mean, it's just horrendous I mean I get that artists have to make money but like some of the stuff that goes on is just not on and there needs to be better ways to do it and then they bring in this verified fan thing and it's as bad you know it doesn't make any sense so I don't know Um, but at least people like Robert Smith are standing up for the punters and looking out for them you know and it does make headlines yeah um, you just broke up there now a little bit so I don't know if you caught if I caught everything you said but I got the majority of it, except for your last line there. <laughs> um, it's a very bad day here. So rent, 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 rent. Yeah, your rent. I got the last line of your rent. I think it's enough. <laughs> but it's true. It's a joke. The stress. <laughs> the stress yeah. of trying to buy a it's fucking so ticket stressful. for something. It's so stupid. Like, now saying that, yeah, Kelly's going yeah. to be answered the week that the baby's coming with, not without me. So <laughs> I'm pissed off. <laughs> you were like, well, you didn't, Ticketmaster didn't cause you problems that time. Did yeah, they? so fuck off. <laughs> it was actually dive that got the tickets yeah, um, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have got them and I, I never get anything my computer is always yeah, too slow or too old or whatever and do you know what we've locked out anyway. actually a resale a few times lately for things in the last few years so oh, yeah it's worth it if you keep going on the next day and people are selling yeah, their tickets back exactly. yeah yeah good idea Hello. Um, that's us come to the end of our time I uh, hope everybody has a wonderful weekend we're going to be very quiet here you're going to be training a dog there but we'll be back in the next week yes. more thanks everybody life. have a good one love you all ciao